to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please check the ICDL parent website at the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for a virtual floor time consultation or for the weekly parent support meetings. We aim to help you implement your program at home using the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR, taking into account your child's developmental level, their individual differences, and using your relationship with them to help promote and support their development. Hello, I'm Daria Brown, and I am so thrilled this week to have a legendary occupational therapist with us, Rosemary White of the offices of Rosemary White, OT and Associates, just outside of Seattle, is a DIR expert trainer and a senior faculty with Profectum. And it's really exciting because we are both members of the Commonwealth, unlike most of my guests who are not uh, Canadian or Australian. Uh, that's something we have in common, even though Rosemary's been in, in the United States for a number of years. Uh, it's great to have you. And today we're talking about her DIR floor time summer camps. So welcome, Rosemary. Thank you very much, Daria. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Well, um, it's it's great to have you because I know um, I've heard so much about all of the different things that you've done. I've seen a number of your presentations that are online. And so to get to speak with you in person is really exciting. And you're one of the original floor timers with Dr. Greenspan. So that's always exciting, too, to get that um, perspective and expertise of what floor time is really all about, which is what you bring to these camps. And I, I will just start off by saying that I had heard about your summer camps just from uh, keeping tabs of what is online about floor time. And I really wanted to send my son a few years ago. I thought, oh, can we make it? Can we do a trip out west? And he could go to this camp and get a different experience. And um, I just thought, oh, I don't know if he could handle the long flight. So it didn't happen. And um, this, I guess you're excited because it's your, would have been the 22nd year of the camp, but during COVID you couldn't run it. So it's technically the 21st, but why don't you tell us uh, just how did the idea for the summer camp start? What do you do at the camps and what was different with COVID and how are you doing them different this year? And for everybody listening, they start on Monday. I don't know if you have enrollment open if anyone else wants to jump in last minute. No, we're in a very modified camp this year. Okay. So it's not like our 60 children have we had in the past, but really we're doing, we're going to be seeing 30 children um, over a four week period um, with, but they're small little camps that are two hours a day and three groups per day. So we'll be seeing 15 children each day for two weeks and then a new group for 15 children. So we tried to be able to provide the services but not with the extensive way that we have done in the past. And hopefully you'll go back to that in the future, I guess. Oh yes, yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, just to sort of, we've been, we began doing the camps in 2000, actually here in my house. And we had four children coming and we, we blended floor time with doing actually a listening program, the a portable lift program, uh, which is the portable tomatoes program. And we did that for, um, for two years. We did it, or we did it for one year in my home, and then we rented space at a school. And um, then we started to get 
families who said, well, we're not sure we want to do the portable lift, but we really want to do this DIR approach to the summer camp. So that's how we actually started. And we, we then let go of doing the lift during the camps and we just focused on floor time. And we began off then with probably 11 to 16 children in camp and then it's gradually grown over the years. And um, but I think what's really evolved over the years is the training of the staff as well, too. And just to give you a little bit of an idea about that is from the very beginning, we would meet with the staff and talk about the children who were coming and how we're going to support them. And we also had ideas that maybe we could have like one, one floor time player to support two to three children. But what we found is we asked parents, you know, does your child need additional support um, in terms of their interactions with peers? And most parents said, no, they don't have an aide at school. So we... We did that for a few years and then we realised the children needed much more support in these dynamic interactions with their peers. So then we we shifted it around and we I really worked to have one floor time player to each child in camp. So if we've got 35 children, I have 35 staff. Actually, we probably have 37 because I have what we call floaters who can sort of help us in general. And that really switched the camp around, that we had enough support and they could, the players can fade back, but it was really important to be able to support the dynamic flow of interactions without being like white on rice with kids. We wanted to sort of have this flexibility. And um, over the years then I began to do, to formalise the training more. So instead of just each morning talking about the kids, We'd been videotaping all the time. So we do videotapes all the time and get little video clips. But then I started to get a little bit more organized, I would say. And so prior to camp, I will do uh, usually four trainings of the, the camp staff. And many of the staff are coming from college, they're college students. Some of them are high school students. And I've learned that um, I'll take, I'll employ high school juniors and seniors. So they've got a little bit more maturity. And then um, I have a number of people who are uh, in college, some studying like business administration and some studying marketing or engineering. But And then we have other people who are really interested in uh, special education or pre-OT, pre-PT, pre-med. We have a number of pre-med students. Um, and then some who are in their master's programs, plus also then a number of psychologists, educators, OTs coming from other countries or coming from other parts of the states. So my training can be in person at our office or was in person at our office, or um, I would record them and then upload them onto an unlisted YouTube account. So people who were out of the country or out of the state would be able to watch the training prior to starting. And then the other key part is that in each camp, there's myself and another lead therapist in my practice who have all been DIR OTs for the last almost 20 years. And uh, there's one therapist, Jeanette Wake, who's been with me for over 25 years. And then Chris Jones Johnson, who's been with me since 2003. So they've really worked in our practice for a long time. And then they co-lead with me in the camps. And so the two of us in each camp, Jeanette's in the morning, Chris is in the afternoon, we have a camera and we're going around coaching all the floor time players during their interactions with the children. Um, or we might like pull them over and give them some support 
then go back again too. And then each night I go through the video clips and then I put together a PowerPoint for the next morning from 8 to 8.45. We look at, we, I pull together a video with highlighting key things that we want to really focus on. And over the course of the four weeks, you can see the evolution or the development of the floor time players, plus also the development of the children in camp too. And so my trainings change over the course and over the years, I've seen how it changes um, over the over the course of camp and um so it's actually a pretty exciting process too so the first thing that pops into my mind is uh the expense of all of that training is it is it um do the floor time players i guess they get paid for their time working but then are they if they're professionals coming to you they're getting training so are they paying for training or how do you fund all of those people to do the camp? Well, we um, number one is I pay all the, the floor time players for all the training. I pay them during the training. So they're an employee of our practice. And the people who are professionals who are, um, you know, OTs or educators or psychologists in who are in the United States, they... Um, they come in and I pay them at the rate of the floor time players. So it's significantly less than what they would get professionally, but they're getting the training at the same time. Right, right. And then the other part about it is that because we're in a camp and there's just the um, myself and the other therapist, we've got 35 children. We can't really bill this as insurance through insurance. So it's private pay. And so that's where the expense does come. But a lot of parents then seek out funding from other sources to be able to pay for it as well. And some people pay for it privately as well, too. And and just looking at the information on the camps, like it, it's a very reasonable rate. So um, it's it's what jumped out to me when I read through the descriptions of the camps absolutely was wow, like the training and the support that's there for the floor time players really makes this such an incredible experience for the kids that maybe a lot of parents may not appreciate because they, I don't know what it's like for your camps, but I think in terms of DIR sort of programs, sometimes people seek it out because they're looking for DIR. But other times people have children on the spectrum and they just want to find some kind of camp that's good for their child. And they, whether it's DIR or not, they don't even really care. They just, oh, this is a good camp. So they may not know what DIR floor time is. Yeah. And it it's um that that's what jumped out to me the most is wow, like these floor time providers are getting so much support and all the videotaping. And I read that you also then will do sessions with the parents to go over and show them what you're doing and why you're doing it, which is such an amazing experience for parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. So during camp, I do two parent nights for the morning camp and two parent nights for the afternoon camp. And they're in the evening. I record that as well, too. But I go through and select videos that really highlight for the parents the philosophy of DIR and how we're supporting and bringing DIR into social and peer interactions, which is a bit different from being a parent and we're supporting you in terms of your interaction with your child. This is sort of 
how do we help parents see what we're doing in this other broader picture in terms of social interactions? And, you know, part of it is helping kids share attention with one another to real have that engagement with one another and to help them really cue into what is their intentions in terms of interactions, but also what are the intentions of the other kids. And then when we move up and we're really trying to support kids to stay in a long flow of interaction, we also have to deal with conflicts and conflict resolution. And that's a big part of it as well too, because a lot of the children have regulation issues where they get emotionally or physiologically dysregulated. And how do we not jump in and be the adult who takes control, but help the children really be able to slow down to be able to become a thinker. So one of the classics is, you know, two children are playing or one child's playing with a toy and another child comes up with it. And they may have left the toy on the floor two minutes ago because they went off to do something else. And then they come back and see another child is playing with their toy. And it's like, okay, I own that toy. And so then you have a conflict. And we we really support the players to come in and not to be trying to be the judge, but be able to come in and help the kids to be able to hear one another's ideas around the toy. So the classic is, you know, two children are fighting over a, um, a car and we coach the floor time players to come in and put their hand on the car to stabilise it a little bit and then you go, oh, it is a gorgeous car. I love the wheels. What, what do you like? And, and what do you like? And we help the children shift from being physiologically and emotionally charged and reactive to being able to become a thinker in the moment. And when you do that, it's, it switches very quickly when you become that neutral, not neutral, but the third affective partner to be able to glue the, the two children together. And then they end up playing together with the car. And I see that year after year. So that's, a, that's amazing. So what, what I hear you saying just to reiterate is that floor time, of course, when we're doing floor time for our children, developmental, where are they developmentally? What are their individual differences? Let's use that relationship through the parent and child to, to get those interactions going. Um, that is also important, but this camp is more promoting groups and peer play. And I did a podcast with Christy Gozi about mm -hmm. supporting uh, family interactions like with siblings or small groups. And, and she gave a number of good examples of how to do that too. Um, but this is more like a, a peer, like this is peers playing together and supporting that. And, and that's something that's so important that I think a lot of our kids don't get. And I know as my own son, who's now 12, has become more relational and interactive, these conflicts do come up and the way you handle them can really affect the way that child interacts with people going forward. And, and like you said, if it's, if it's this abrupt uh, adult coming in and judging and, and saying, no, don't do that, uh, that can backfire in all kinds of different ways for the yeah. child where it becomes a power struggle. And, mm -hmm. and when you instead, I love that, that you said you, the player puts the focus on oh i love this part of the car and just to give you an example my my son during the pandemic was alert um got shown how to play video games by his dad so he's obsessed with mario kart and uh -huh. so he's so excited and he's always upregulated and so he likes to call his friends uh names so you're luigi you're mario yeah. you're toad 
And then some of the kids don't like that. So um, what what the adults have tried to do is say, oh, are you thinking about Toad right now? Oh, you know, and or one of the little girls will have her hair in braids and he'll call her Toadette and they'll say, are you thinking about Toadette? Hmm, like, you know, oh, her braid, oh, she has braids like Toadette. And then it's sort of without without saying to the person that he called the name, oh, he didn't mean it. He's yeah. just thinking of that. You're sort of saying it for the benefit of both parties uh, to sort of diffuse, <laughs> like you said, I like the way you said that, diffuse the physiology and the sparks or whatever that are coming up. The volcano. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, so there's that part of it too, but there's a lot of like um, when we're at the school, we've been, been fortunate to be at a number of schools um, and they've always had great outside areas. I mean, in, in the early days, we were actually at a, an elementary school just down the road from us here. And then we were at a high school um, and we had big soccer fields and we'd go to a park um, once a week uh, as well. But we had indoor and outdoor play too. So there's a lot of play on climbers and um, now a lot of the schools have climbing wall, you know, those structures with climbing walls, etc. And there's basketball courts. And, um, and so the kids are inside and outside. We've got, two, we usually rent two rooms. So there we bring a lot of toys from our office. So it's like two big playrooms and there's play inside and outside. What's unique too is the children aren't assigned to a room. It's, this is camp. And we just, when they come in, they put their backpacks on some shelving that we put out and the backpacks go there. They, um, and then it's free reign to go wherever you, you want to play. And the floor time players are there to support them. So there's a lot of dynamic flow in and out as kids play. And, you know, some of the children are really um, easily overwhelmed by the intensity in some of the rooms so that they're more outside and um and it's not one way or the other the other thing that we do do which is the own well there's two two structures that we have one is or schedule that we have is that one is halfway through the three-hour camp we have what we call halftime snack time and we all go under the basketball court and the kids all sit on mats just it's not tables it's just sitting on mats and eating their snack and uh, then at the other part, at the very end, 15 minutes before the end, we have the kids clean up, bring in all the toys that they've taken out all over the grounds. They bring them in and then we go and sit down in the basketball court and we sing a goodbye song. And the parents come and watch as we're singing the goodbye song from the side. And then each of the players talk to the parent reflecting on what were some of the highs of the day, how they supported the child. And, so uh, there's a little bit of structure in the arrival, the snack time, the cleanup and the goodbye song, but then you try to have unstructured playtime in between. We have no idea what's going to happen each day. There is no external structure by the adults. We let the children drive the um, activities. And we've talked a lot about floor time and how you're you're supporting that whole idea of floor time, but you're also an OT. And so you bring in that perspective. And so I imagine that influences 
the kinds of things you may set up, like wanting them to move around, wanting them to. Uh, no. I mean, with kids might be all climbing on the climbers. Um, we bring in some pillows from the office so kids can lounge around. Um, some of the schools, one school that we've been at has had did have a swing, like a roundabout swing, so the kids would play on that. Um, we bring pop up tents, you know, so we've got like a pop up Tom, Thomas the Tank Engine tent, um, face paint. Um, we do bring blow up swimming pools, but the process there is the kids blow up the pool, then they have, they carry it out and then they, we, we, the adults hold the hoses. That's one of the things we do have. But we also have a sprinkler. We, I mean, this is in part, have a sprinkler. So there's lots of play on the sprinkler. These four weeks in Seattle are usually our sunniest four weeks of the of the year. So it really works out well in that way too. Um, and I notice you have your window open. Uh, you guys yeah. have been having a heat wave, haven't yes. you? Yes. Yeah, it was 104 the other day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's so warm. the sprinklers will come in handy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but then, um, as I said, this year it's going to be very different because we couldn't rent a school. The schools were still very restricted in terms of us coming in. And, and there was one school that we could have had a room, but the price was prohibitive for the restricted number of students that we could, or, uh, uh, children we could have, campus we could have. So we decided to do our camp this year in our large downstairs room at our office. Um, and we'll only have, we're going to, as I said, we're going to have five campers in each group and there'll be one therapist Lead, the lead therapist. So Jeanette's going to do the 9 to 11 group. Then Chris will do 11.30 to 1.30 and I'll do 2.30 to 4.30. Then I'll collect all the videos each night, <laughs> put together a PowerPoint, and then the next morning between 8 and 8.45, I'll do the training for the fire, for our, our floor time play. So it won't be as intense, but it'll be pretty focused in terms of supporting the kids. Yeah, and, and I think in terms of my OT question, what I hear then is that they're not getting OT at the camp, but because you're you're informed from that, that's what you're using that lens to look at the, the eye in the model, the individual differences in how to support each child. Most definitely, yeah. We're really looking at you know, what are the what are the strengths of the child? Where do they have their challenges? And then what's the type of affective, emotional and cognitive support we can use to provide that support for the child? So we look at what is it in terms of their visual, visually, do we need to be close to them? Do we need to be further away? Do we need to be down low? What's the tone of voice we're going to use? What's our pacing going to be used? What's our, what is the, you know, the physical support that we're going to provide to um, and and also then you know what about auditorily what's the so we're really looking at the uniqueness so when we do our you know we often get new children in fact this camp with 30 I think we've got 32 children coming and 14 are new to our practice that we don't even know so we've been doing intakes for them and so what the therapists are looking at in their intakes you know what is the strength of the child what is the um the, the challenges they see and then what's the type of support that we find in our intakes that will help them in terms of engaging and then the other thing that I brought in this year is within Perfectum we're really looking at what's called the foundational capacities for development the five c's so we're looking at thinking about comfort 
competence, confidence, control, communication. And then I added a sixth of collaboration because within the groups, we're looking at that as well too. But what we're thinking about, what is it that brings this child comfort? What is it that we can bring in that brings them comfort? When they're engaging things, what when do they feel competent? We want to help them feel competent. So we also want to really access that ability for them to have confidence and also noticing what how we can help them feel control and not overwhelmed by things. And then looking at all their avenues for communication, whether it be, you know, um, verbal, gestural or non-conventional. And so we're really thinking about those things. And so for my training this year, I did it online and I began doing it online. And then what I did is I started to train not so much going through the DIR functional developmental levels and the I first of all, but I've taken this big it's almost like you've got two umbrellas. You've got the umbrella of the functional capacities of development that we want to think about the whole time. And then the the DIR functional emotional developmental levels, the individual profile and putting the relationship in the forefront. And it's interesting too because um, what we do, that's the other unique thing about our summer camps is a floor time player might be with, say, your son, and we have lots of children who are 12, 13, 18, 20, 20. We have a range from three-year-olds to 22-year-olds. Oh, wow. Um, and it's so interesting because the kids all interact in a multi-age way and multi-ability ways too. But the floor time players will be with a child for three and a half days. And then halfway through at the halftime snack time, we do what we call switcheroo. And so I might be with Johnny and now I'm switching to Mary Jo. And so what happens is I'm going to in that morning, everybody sort of finds out who they're going to be with. Their kids are all excited. Who's going to be my next player? And so, and it becomes more and more comfortable over the four weeks. But what happens is that if I've been with Johnny and now I'm with Mary Jo, if I can remember these names, then what will happen is I will go to Mary Jo, but I have a relationship and that's the most important things with Johnny. So what will happen is he will seek out me which means that then he will have the opportunity to interact with me and the child with, with whom I'm with. Now, that happens. And over the four weeks, the kids all and all the players have been with many different children. And one of the things is we'll do is when we're doing switcheroo, I have the players who are with the child talk to the person who's going to that their child is going to go to so they can talk about what are the ways that they've supported the child so we have this dynamic discussion going on between the players and what's interesting is you know some of my I have full-time players many of them who come back for many years and one of them had a very poignant note that he said you know the most important thing is forming a relationship with the child don't try and push them along get into the relationship with them and that's been a really you know DIR should be our ID relationship based that is really tailored to the individual profile to support the functional emotional developmental levels so we really highlight the uh, um, the other thing I was going to say is that we, you know, I do have a lot of players who come from overseas and due to the, the way the US works, we can't pay them because they don't have work visas. So they are guests here. So I try and organize, many of them stay at my home and then we, 
we feed them, we do whatever we can to re reimburse, or what would I say, to make them feel welcome and to um, make it as, as cost effective as possible for them. You know, but again, they're getting training. Well, um, if, if I, I'm sure this is very common, but wow, like in the DIR world, people are so dedicated. <laughs> How many people in the business world in general do you know that um, dedicate themselves to kids the way you're doing in the training and the staff and like, wow, it's it really is amazing. And I know that's one thing that stands out in the DIR community is just this desire to really help kids feel safe and have joy and thrive and respect who they are and respect what they need and um, less about compliance and conforming and telling them, you know, guiding them what to do. Like we really want to see what do they have inside of them that they can bring out and share. And um, yeah, it's, it's so great every week to talk to people who are so dedicated to that and just hearing how much you do, like getting up and going over the training and then at night, going over this and then entertaining the people from around the world so it's just amazing <laughs> it's an intense four weeks but i think it's really worth it and the, the i suppose the big benefit is you see the children forming these great relationships and um and many of them return we have a lot of returning children to camp and um it's really wonderful to sort of see how they form friendships and i suppose the thing is that that's the most challenging thing for me is that i feel like we should have floor time players at recess for every school so that you know this is a, a missed opportunity of supporting relationships and supporting the children to really discover that they can have these friendships and that they can have successful friendships that you know with that little bit of support to navigate uh how to interact with peers is really important i mean we've had some hilarious times where in one of the schools we were at one of the boys threw his shoes over the fence where there was a big dog oh yeah. that's my son he's always throwing shoes and everything on the the roof <laughs> so we had a 45 minute interaction with a whole lot of kids trying to work out how to problem solve how to get the shoe back and they were all <laughs> using duct tape and taping everything together to be able to to get the shoe back again and eventually we got it but it was like but it was like kids are all shared social pro or said shared problem solving it was really a problem not i think about shared social problem solving is how do i stay in an interaction with another child how do i navigate that piece but this was actually shared problem solving of a real physical problem and so we take advantage of of anything like that you know how do we get the blow up swimming pool through the door and how do we all work together to do those sorts of things? So that's sort of, I, I suppose, a little bit of my OT background, but it's around real life experiences. And yeah. for people like me who only have one child, which I imagine is common enough in your camps, especially if you have a high needs child who needs so much support, you tend to not think about having more kids. Now, yeah. I'm speaking for myself. Also, I was a lot older when I had my child but it's a good interaction. It's a good experience for the children to get interactions with other kids because at home, they're just by themselves with their parents. Exactly, yeah. Um, the other thing is too, just in terms of people, you know, I have four daughters and they've all worked through camp. So oh, wow. they all, and, and a lot of our floor time players in the beginning were 
high school friends of my own children who then gone on to go into different professions and things like that too so it's a, and we also one of the beautiful things about the floor time players is I might get a referral for one floor time player to come and they um, then will go off to college and they'll tell all their college friends and then we had like a whole slew of students from Gonzaga University another lot from Western Washington who had it's sort of like it's a trickle down um, uh, effect and you know I suppose I would talk to anybody who wants to become a floor time player we're welcome to have you come and do the training as well too so it that's really amazing yeah and and I mean wouldn't that be a dream if every school had DIR in general yeah. uh let alone even at recess and all these other things I think um that's the goal for all of us is to get to the place where where this kind of support is available for for not even kids on the spectrum but all kids but certainly yeah. kids on the spectrum and I I like the work that Dr Stuart Shanker is doing in Canada with self-reg supporting classrooms in general uh yeah. regardless of special needs or disabilities or not just getting that idea out there and then um yeah the floor time supporting children that come to your camps now do kids that come to your camps uh I don't think you specify that they have to have a diagnosis or anything but do you find that most of them are on the spectrum or is it a, a mix a wide range we have children who are on the spectrum we have children with chromosomal disorders um we have children who've had down who you know got down syndrome um we have children who are twice exceptional um a huge range is what i would say some children who are have got anxiety um and you know uh other other children who you know are have challenges in terms of social interaction with peers and the parents want to, to bring them in too it really varies there's a lot of again children coming to camp word of mouth is a lot of um, you know, we, we've got it on our website, but a lot of the children come now from all different resources in the community and outside of Seattle as well, too. I imagine after over 20 years that the word gets out and so people know about it. Yep. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it, it's just a, it's just an exciting time, I think, particularly because there are a lot of camps that are very structured and very um what I say you know specific you're going to learn how to do something but this is one that's like you don't you don't select who you're going to go to when you go to the park you don't select who's going to be at the park with you that's right so yeah. we're really trying to create that in a supportive way yeah. now you made me think of something that has come up in ICDL's parent support group that I facilitate on Mondays we had a, a couple of parents a couple of different weeks bring in some really not very nice experiences they had now that covid has sort of the lockdowns have sort of are ending and people are getting outside again and they've brought their children to the parks and they've had other parents react in not very nice ways like if they had an autistic child who ran up to another kid and and maybe it scared the parent of the neurotypical baby or, or child or whatever. And um, how would, because what, what resulted was that these parents just felt very um, discouraged when they got home and, you know, then they cry when they get home because it was like, oh, you know, 
people are treating my child not very nicely. And um, is there anything that you can think of to suggest to really support the parents when they encounter other kids at the park and the other parents might be like, oh, don't go near that kid. Like he's weird or different, or they don't say that, but you know that that's what they're thinking. What can parents do besides walk away and avoid them, <laughs> which sometimes you have to do? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things that I think a little bit about too. If, if, if your child is one who you know, sees the other kids and it's like they're really enthusiastic and want to go in there, maybe just in terms of um, what I say, front loading a little bit is to when you get with your when you're with your child, just from a distance sit and do a visual like observation of what the other kids are doing, you know, so that, you know, it's like I'm like um, the park's there and I'm a kid in a candy store. I'm going to 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 get that but maybe to be able to help that take a breath and take in the sights and sounds and action of what's going on you can just you know hold your child's hand and say let's just take a peek and see what's going on and I find that like on in camp if you've got kids who are say up on the climber and you have a child who is just goes at it then one of the things we're going to do for the floor time player is say okay now let's just take a view from the distance. So that's one thing that I would do from the parent. And then the other thing is, again, I think, you know, like um, helping people understand what's actually happening to, oh, that was a little fast. So you're helping the other children process, not going to you scared the other children, mm -hmm. but what was actually physically occurring that was a little fast. Well, that was loud and unexpected, wasn't it, mums and dads? I mean, I would just do that so that you're giving meaning to the action that your child is engaging in. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes. And I've given um, a similar example before when we've taken my son to model train shows and he starts flapping his hands and he's being loud and everybody starts looking and I'll say, oh, you're so excited. Look at that train. Wow. And mm -hmm. so even though I'm saying that to him, they all hear, oh, that's what he does when he's excited. Exactly. Oh, he really likes the trains. So I, I think that's what you meant. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and, and then that helps us as parents or caregivers um, give a new, neutrality to the moment rather than, oh, my gosh, he's flapping his arms again. What are people going to think? You know, mm -hmm. because children do that, but as they get older, they titrate it down, but they're still feeling the joy and the emotion of it, but this, it doesn't have to be quite as overt. And, you know, we all do that. And, and so it, it gives meaning. But one of the things I'm very passionate about is not going to the abstract terminology of the emotion, but what is actually physically the triggers in the moment. So it was, oh, that was unexpected. That was loud. It was a sudden squish. Woo, as somebody crashes into you, you know, give it what it is rather than he hurt you or you pushed him over. That's another thing I think. There's misinterpretations sometimes of actions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a child might be running somewhere and bump into another child's trike or whatever, but they it wasn't intentional, but it's felt as intentional. Mm -hmm. like, whoopsie that was a bit or you know we just want to really bring it down a little bit too and help the children shift from being vulnerable to oh so that's what happened 
you know, so we become a thinker again too. Um, right. And my mind, I was going to say something else and it slipped my mind. I don't remember what it was. Well, well, what you said made me think of something that was really nice that happened, which was at a train show and my son was just super loud, excited, you know, jumping up and down as he's watching the, the model train go by. And the one model train man said to me, we all, we all feel the same inside. We're just not showing it. You know, some sixteen-year-old so nice. man said that, and I thought, "Oh, isn't that nice?" Like he's relating to my son and understanding his excitement, and he feels exactly the same way. He's just not doing the same physical actions. <laughs> so that that's one of the nice examples. But I guess one of the worst examples would be like if your child goes and knocks over someone's tower that they've been building. Like uh, we would go to Henry Ford Museum in Detroit with my son, and they have these Lego blocks and stuff like big blocks and kids would be making these towers. And if our son got away from us, we're like, oh no, and he's running and then he knocks down someone else's tower. And then like, you're like, oh, my kid's the bad kid that knocked down your kid's tower. And the other parent gives you the dirty look. And like, that is a much harder thing to like. So in that case, you would describe, oh, that was so fast and unexpected. Or how would that you- That was such a gorgeous big tower. So you're balancing it out too, you know? It, it, I mean, that happens the whole time in camp. It, I mean, not not the whole time. Let me really, but it happens enough that we're really thinking a lot about that piece too. The other the other thing is that I I know what I was going to say is that you know we 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 also have um, past camps. We've had basketball. We've got basketball court. Kids playing basketball, um, kickball, and then four square became a big game for a lot of the kids who, when they were younger, were not engaging in physical play, but in camp they began to explore those sorts of things. So it went beyond the climbers to the the physical play. So, and that's what I've seen with children that I've known over the years. It, it, the evolution of their play has become more and more robust. Yeah, that must be really rewarding to watch too over years oh, yeah. and seeing the development of the kids. Yep. Yeah. And then each year we have new children too. And so it's sort of like this whole past and present that's going on too. And then I imagine too with the new children, it's some trial and error as well, because you might think, oh, let's do this with this child. And then you try it and then it backfires and you're like, oh, okay, well, we understand that was too much for him or her and let's yeah. let's go with this today and and that's part of the great piece of reflection and also it's part of dir it's just like when i do telehealth i have no idea what's going to be going on in the home when i get there so it's like you you know, as an ot i'm really looking at how do i support under this dir umbrella and the five c's how do i then join you where you're at so, but if I come in with an agenda of what I want to get done, it, it, it usually backfires. <laughs> right, right. So you want to really meet the person where they are in the moment, whether it be in an individual session or whether it be in camp. You want to meet them where they're at because you're really thinking about their day and what, what they're feeling in that moment on that day. Yes, and... Um... I'll, I'll put a link in the blog post to the podcast I did with Millie Cordero and her daughter, where she talked about that, where if you don't meet the family where they're at, it, it's not going to be helpful for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, before we headed out, I just wanted to share Rosemary's website here, the offices of oh. Rosemary White, and she has information 
um, here, click here for summer camp information. And then um, on her perfect, the Perfectum website that this, um, I guess this is a course you have training floor time players to support children in interactions with peers, a model for camps, recess and social groups. This would give people who are interested but can't attend Rosemary's camps the opportunity to get some of her insights. And then I also wanted to point out the Perfectum Parent Toolbox, mm -hmm. ppt at perfectum.org. If you click, here's the website of Perfectum. If you scroll down right here, Parent Toolbox, and it'll bring you here. And there's some great resources for parents at this website as well. So and I just wanted... And uh, that, just to let you know, this was uh, we got a grant from the Goldman Foundation to do this. And Serena Weider, Ricky Robinson, Monica Osgood, Sherry Khan, and myself put it together. We worked probably for two and a half, three years putting it together. And what was beautiful is that the group of um, individuals who are in a program at Exceptional Minds, who are all uh, individuals uh, who have a diagnosis of ASD, um, who are working in videography and graphics, they edited it and turned it into a really wonderful professional looking presentation. It's really pretty awesome and very, and, very friendly. And the parent toolbox itself is free. So yeah. that's a great resource for parents as well. So I will put links to all of this stuff in the blog post at affectautism.com. Just do a search for Rosemary and you'll find us. So thank you so much for sharing this information. Now, um, I, I'm sort of upset that we didn't do the podcast a few months earlier because everybody listening is gonna say, I wanna sign up my child, and but you're full. So they're yeah. gonna have to wait till next year. <laughs> 2022 will be a good year because we'll be back in schools and we'll be back full-time, but um, we'll start, we start taking registrations in January. So it, um, but if people are interested, they can email us and um, we'll, we, you know, tally everything together and keep a log so we can contact people once we've got it all squared away. But Great. Well, thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you yes. pseudo in person. <laughs> what my life is in front of the computer right now, but that's, that's right. Really cool. Yeah. It's great. Well, it gives us an opportunity to do stuff that like, that's what I like about it is as much as it's nice to be in person, a lot of people can't don't have that opportunity to be in person so at least they get some some access and can get coaching and other trainings and all of this kind of stuff that wouldn't otherwise have been available to us so um well thank you again yeah oh, it was my pleasure it's great to be with you daria thank you very very much and thank you listeners and check the write-up at affectautism.com until next time here's to affecting autism through playful interactions this episode of Affect Autism was brought to you by affectautism.com. This is an independent endeavor on my part without any sponsorship. Please consider supporting the podcast and the website for as little as $5 US a month to receive extra bonuses, including floor time videos access, your questions answered on upcoming podcasts, my weekly insights video with my takeaways from each podcast, and more. You can become a member or a star member of Affect Autism at patreon.com slash affectautism.